You are listening to Myth Behaving, a podcast with a little bit of attitude on the literary world. Won't you come Myth Behave with us? Hello, 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 and welcome to Myth Behaving. This is episode number three, and we're recording on January the 27th. I am Carla Clifton, and I am joined today by my very special co-host, Mayor. Hey, Mayor. Hello, Carla. How are you today? I tell you, I am doing so good. It has just been a beautiful day here in Southeast Texas. It's been like 75 degrees. This is not January. Oh, that is so unfair. It has been cold and rainy the last couple of days. Not as much rain today, but high desert of southern Nevada. That's how it gets here. And hello to our listeners. Thank you very much for downloading or listening to us on the website. As you know, each myth-behaving show features a very special guest from the literary world. And it could be a writer, a publisher, an agent, editor, anybody else that we've been able to corral and bring into this. Plus, we have some very special segments related to reading or writing. Shh. Be very quiet when hunting books in the library of a myth behavior. All right, that sound means it's time for something from the Library of the Myth the Behavior. So, what are you recommending today, Mayor? Today's recommendation is 10 by author Gretchen McNeil. It's a young adult thriller for grades 9 and up, and I read this just recently. Super really well-written book, very tightly written, very fast-paced. The heroine is sympathetic and engaging, and you, you get into her right away from the very beginning and stay with her all the way through the story. It's set on an island off the coast of Washington, and... Uh, a little bit of a tip of the hat to Agatha Christie, where 10 teenagers are set for a weekend of partying, and instead it's a weekend of dying, as the teens are killed off one by one until you get to the end, which I'm not going to tell you about. Ooh, that sounds so exciting. That must mean that today's guest must be Gretchen McNeil. Welcome to Myth Behaving, Gretchen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Carla and Mayor. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you come chat with us today, Gretchen. Gretchen and I have been, we're kind of in a group and have known each other about, what, about a year now, do you think? I think it's been about a year since uh, since we started uh, posting in an online group of writers. Exactly. So, 10 is your second book, it Possessed is. With Your First, and I read both. I loved both of them. Uh, Thank you. Tell us, how, how did you get into writing? Because you came in, you're a performer like me. You came in from the performing end. And I find it really fascinating how, how different artists segue into different, into other arts. How did you get into writing? And when did you start? And how did you know that when you started that you wanted to be published? Uh, well, I, I, as you mentioned, I came from a performing arts background. Excuse the barking dog. My my six-pound dog seems to think someone's trying to invade the balcony. Um, I uh, am a trained opera singer. I spent many years um, pursuing a career in opera. It turned out to be something that uh, I needed to step away from, from sort of a variety of reasons. And I didn't really start writing at all until, I guess it was 
five years ago, five, almost six years ago now, um, I was going through a divorce and I was just sort of flailing about what I was going to do sort of with my life. And I'd never written anything before, but I woke up one day and I thought, I'm going to write a novel. Uh, and I did, and it, it wasn't particularly good, but I think I, I wrote from the get go with the idea of being published, um, I did query that book. I racked up something like 135 agent rejections. Um, but it, it instead of being disheartening, it gave me um, a focus for my writing going forward. It taught me what I was doing wrong, how I could fix it. It turns out I was writing in totally the wrong genre. And uh, my second book that I wrote uh, landed me an agent. And, um, and here I am a few years later. <laughs> That's awesome. It's been a wild ride, no joke. <laughs> I bet it has been. Of truth and mythery. Of Truth and Mythery is a segment where we take a commonly held publishing or writing belief and examine whether it's true or just another myth. Gretchen, I want you to feel free to chime in here. Sounds good. A beginning writer doesn't need to actually write the book. They can just pitch the idea to an agent or a publisher in order to get a contract. Yeah, um... No. I mean, if you're writing a nonfiction proposal, you don't actually usually have to write the whole book. But if we're talking about fiction here and you are unpublished and that includes people who are self-published, that's that's not traditionally published, um, you need to write an entire manuscript. You need to query agents with a completed manuscript uh, before you can move forward. They, they definitely want to see that you can complete a project uh, beginning, middle, and end before anyone is going to sign you up. Now, there are... Uh, there are exceptions to that rule. I do know people who have signed with agents without finishing a book, um, but definitely not uh, submitted to publishers <laughs> without finishing the book. Yeah, it's, it, and, and even those who don't finish, it's very rare that they're going to get picked up by that agent. Is it not, Gretchen? Don't yeah, you feel I mean, that? those tend to be cases where there's a personal connection with the agent. Um, that's why... Um, like writing conferences are great where you can sign up to pitch your book to an agent. I do have several friends that have uh, met an agent in person, you know, given the agent, say, six chapters of a book that they're planning, and the agent has signed them on those six chapters. Now, um, the problem with that is if you sign with an agent before your book is completed, there's an added pressure to get that book done. And um, uh, in some cases, that actually inhibits the author from being able to finish it. Uh, one of the things that I tell authors all the time is to enjoy those moments when you are writing without the pressure of a deadline, where there's no agent or editor or marketing staff or whatever waiting for your draft. Um, because once you start selling books and publishing them, um, that luxury disappears entirely. Yeah, it it does. You you do feel the pressure, even though I don't have a, a deadline for book two. I know that I have to get book two done and and out there and baited and rewritten and revised as many times as it's going to be, but in a timely manner. I can't just take two years and do it. Exactly. 
One of the things that really fascinates me about watching your career over the last year is how much work you put into it. And I don't mean just your writing, Gretchen. I, I see the efforts that you put into your career with your marketing and so much else. These things are just mind-boggling. Would you share with our listeners some of your marketing tips? Sure. I mean, one of the amazing things about about the Internet is that it's made the world a much smaller place. Um, Fifteen years ago, you could never think about having a personal conversation with uh, your favorite author other than sending a fan mail letter into, you know, the great black hole of the U.S. Postal Service. Um, nowadays, authors can interact with their favorite, I mean, um, fans can interact with their favorite authors on Twitter, on Facebook, on their blogs, um, and it makes a very personal connection between the writer and the reader, which is um, a double-edged sword sometimes. I mean, it's amazing to be able to interact personally with the people who have read and loved your books or read and hated your books. Um, but at the same time, there is, uh, there is a pressure to, to be available, to be present in the, uh, social media online networks. And so it becomes another part of the job and a very time consuming one. Um, what I tell authors is, aspiring authors is if they are planning to to be published in in whatever um in whatever type of publishing whether it's traditional with a big five publisher going through the agent or going with a small press or self-publishing it online you should start building your online present the second that you make that decision so the second that you decide that you are going to publish a book you need to start a Twitter feed, make a Facebook page, get on Goodreads, just start uh, Pinterest, Tumblr, whatever. Start getting your face out there. Um, start making personal connections with people because you're going to need them when your book comes out. I think that that is such, so insightful because so many people don't look at the social media aspect of what they're doing and we are in a time period now that social media is just an absolute must tool to to build the your presence is the first place a reader goes to find a book absolutely uh, not just to purchase the book but to get information on a book to get information on what they should read uh, about an author so you have to be there you have to be on the internet Absolutely. You're so wise in, in, in knowing that, that that's amazing. You do a lot of book signings too, though, don't you? You do yes, a lot of personal appearances. I do a lot of events, a lot of appearances. Most of those, um, as an, as an author, I set up myself or, uh, coordinate with other authors to set up. Um, it's important to, to put yourself in front of your readers to give them an opportunity to meet you, to get your book signed. Um, and the more you do that, the more people talk about your books. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the Internet things you did that I found very exciting was you built a street team for 10 called the Army of 10. And I found mm -hmm. that a fascinating process. Yeah, it was uh, it was an experiment, that's for sure. I, I didn't know... Um, I didn't know quite how it was going to work out. Um, 
it's been uh, amazing and trying. Uh, the time commitment involved in that became, because we had such a significant response, the time commitment as far as mailing stuff to people, because it was a sort of a, uh, a rewards-based system that you could earn certain rewards by doing certain tasks, which was fantastic, except I was the one that had to mail everything, keep track of everything, mail everything out. Um, and I was on deadline for another book. I was doing appearances for this book. You know, you, you sort of end up doing everything at once when you're on a book a year plan. So you're always like writing and editing the next book while you have one coming out, while you just had the paperback of the previous one coming out. Um, there are only so many hours in a day. And, uh, and I definitely ran out of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember. I, I think it's eased up a little bit for you recently, has it not? That part has, but there's always something to take its place. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so are you a planner or a pantser? Do you outline everything or fly by the seat of your pants? I think, uh, I think I'm both in a way. Um, my, my plan for a book usually starts off with a relatively detailed outline of the first act. So sort of the introduction of your characters, um, initializing the plot, establishing what your characters want, what's in their way, what's at stake if they fail. Um, and then I sort of know where I want to go at the end. I know what I want the ending to be. Um, but what happens in the middle, I do tend to leave a little bit open it's kind of scary uh, to sort of go into act two and the beginning of act three of a book and not exactly know what you're doing. But I have found that if I try to outline too much of a book, it's counterproductive because so much of it changes. By the time I'm done writing act one, the characters have changed, what they, what they want have changed. And, um, and usually the villains in my book, uh, whoever I set out, to have the villain be, it usually changes by the time I get to the beginning of Act 2, so I have to go back and do a lot of changing. Oh, I find that fascinating that the villains change. That's great. Yes, it, it, it happens to me all the time. I think that that is fun. I think it's awesome, but it makes me want to ask her who the villain was originally in 10 and I don't dare do it because I'll mess up the ending for those who haven't read it. So I'm, I'm going to private message her that. 10, 10 actually, the, the killer was always the killer, but um, the, the body count in the book uh, definitely changed. Uh, and that's sort of all I can say about that without giving all of it away. So. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, we don't want to give that away. It's time for Myth Print tips and tricks of the industry. And yes, it is time for another one of our very special segments. Mythprint is, as our little musical voice said, a basic tip concerning writing, marketing, or anything else to do with the publishing industry. So Gretchen, do you yes. have any tips about getting an agent that you could share with beginning writers? Well, the most important thing about getting an agent is to do your research. Um, again, the Internet's an amazing tool for this. There are several websites, um, Query Tracker and Agent Query come to mind, that um, keep track of what different agents represent, what genres they represent, um, how to query them, what their criteria is. 
And it's really, really important to research this before you start sending queries out. You don't want to send your book that's, say, a military thriller to an agent who only represents middle grade and picture books. Um, not only will you probably not get a response, but it's going to be a waste of everyone's time. And if four years from now you do write a middle grade novel or a picture book, um, that agent might remember you <laughs> and just not be interested. So. Target agents that rep the kind of book that you wrote and follow their established criteria to the letter um, because it's your first your first introduction to them and you want it to be a good one. What do you love most about what you do, Gretchen? I love the storytelling aspects. Um, one of the reasons I love writing horror novels uh, and sort of suspense thrillers is I love creating these sort of great moments of... Um, a fear of sort of heart pounding action of love and of loss. Uh, I think when you nail a scene like that, where you discover a body or, um, or something completely unexpected happens that, you know, makes the reader jump or call out or something like that. I think that is uh, my greatest accomplishment as a writer. And it's the part that I love the most. And that's the part a reader loves the most as well. <laughs> Good. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> But what is your least favorite part of the writing process, or do you even have one? Uh, well, I really hate writing first drafts. Um, it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. I, uh, it's a struggle to get through them from beginning to end. Um, I feel like the book isn't isn't right, isn't good, isn't polished. None of it makes sense. I want to continue to go back and fix things I've already written when I know I just need to barrel ahead because by the time I get to the end, it'll all have changed anyway. Um, Creating sort of a, a manuscript that feels uh, amateurish is difficult, even though first drafts are supposed to be like that. Um, so I, I find it uh, the part of the process I look forward to the least. I much prefer to have it done and then to be able to go back in and fix it. That's much more interesting to me. I understand that you have multiple projects going on at the moment. For our listeners, is there anything you can share with us? Well, my next book comes out this fall, uh, probably September, but I don't have a release date yet. It's called 359, um, as in the time. <laughs> and it's a another YA novel. This time it's kind of a sci-fi horror novel um, about two girls who are the same girl in parallel dimensions who discover that their worlds connect for one minute every 12 hours at exactly 3.59. And they decide to switch places with sort of disastrous consequences. So that will be out this fall. And then right now I'm writing the first draft, thus my, thus my hatred of first drafts, of a book called Get Even, which will be book one in the Don't Get Mad series that'll be due out in fall of 2014. Um, don't Get Mad is going to be a series, a uh, contemporary suspense about four girls um, from very different sort of social groups at their high school who have banded together to form a secret revenge society where they sort of avenge the wrongs done on classmates by bullies, mean girls, teachers, etc., which all goes well until one of their targets turns up dead and their secret society is implicated in the murder, and they don't know if it's one of the four of them 
for someone who knows their secret. So um, that'll be a two-book series uh, starting in 2014. Other than that, I'm working on um, another horror project that I'd like to get sold this year. Um, I'm revisiting an old, old trunked manuscript. It's actually the manuscript that my agent signed me for, but that we didn't actually sell to a publisher. And I'm looking to sort of revisit that as a possible self-publishing project. And then I'm also working on a series of horror short stories um, for my publisher's digital-only imprint. Wow, you are a busy woman. <laughs> she you gotta is be. Busy. I I wanna I wanna go back to three fifty nine for a moment because there was something mm -hmm. special I think that happened at the end of three fifty nine if I'm remembering a post correctly from from back then. Do you remember what I'm talking about, Gretchen? I am totally drawing a blank. You might have to refresh my memory a little. I, I'm somehow remembering you posting something. I can't remember whether it was on Facebook or where it was, but it caught my attention. That's why I remember it now. And I, I somehow remember you saying, I finished the first draft of 359, and after I typed the end, I looked at the clock. Yeah, no, actually, I mailed it to my, emailed it to my editor and my agent. Um, and I wasn't thinking, because I'm in California, I'm in Los Angeles, and so the time here was 12.59 in the morning, almost 1 o'clock in the morning, when I hit send, apparently. So it ended up in the inboxes of both my agent and my editor, time-stamped at 3.59 a.m. East Coast time. <laughs> wow. That's what it was. Very strange. Very strange. Until they said something the next day, and I was like, oh, weird. <laughs> Well, I, I just thought that was so prophetic, and I thought, "Wow, okay, this is going to be a blockbuster with this kind uh, of with this kind of karma going on with this book. This has just oh, got to be a, a fabulous blockbuster." So I'm really looking forward to reading that one. Thank you. The industry's changed a lot, I think, Gretchen, just in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Do you think these changes have impacted your work at all? If so, how? And how do you feel about the changes? Well, I think change is inevitable in any business. Um, and personally, I think anything that gets people reading, whether it's on an e-reader or from the hard copy of a book, is a good thing. Uh, people buying books is a good thing, whether they're digital download or or a hard copy in a store. Um, I think for me, writing is about quality as opposed to quantity. <laughs> and I don't ever want to put a piece of writing out there in any format that I don't feel is a, the best representation of who I am as a writer. I want it to, to feel professional. I want it to read well. I want it to be well edited. Um, so even, even when looking at self-publishing a book in a purely digital format, like I'm doing, um, I'll be hiring a, an editor to, to go through it and a copy editor. So I think, um, I think one of the wonderful things about self-publishing is that anybody can do it. But I think that's also one of the horrible things about it is that anyone can do it. So you have a marketplace of, you know, self-published ebooks right now that is really heavily flooded. Um, and some of it is amazing and some of it is horrible. And um, I wish that there was a, a way to, to, to bring the quality up a little bit. <laughs> But uh, but like I said, anything that gets people reading is is a good thing. 
Yeah, and, and that quality, I think a lot of that has to do with editing because I, I think some of the ones that I've read, that's what I I notice is that I'm sitting there wanting to get my little red pen, my little teacher yeah. red pen out. And as, as, as experienced as I am as a writer now, having done, you know, the editing process on three, on three books, um, you know, with, with my editor at Harper, I would not feel comfortable writing a book, editing it myself and having, you know, strangers read it essentially. Um, you know, even though I feel like I've really grown as a writer and, and understand more what my editor wants in my book so that I can give her more of that in early drafts as opposed to what I, I did before, um, I would still not feel that my book was ready to be consumed by readers um, without having a, a professional editor go through it. Yeah, I agree with that. I I, I would be terrified if if I had to put it out there without my editor, I think. And I go through quite a few betas before it even gets to the editor, before I even submit it to my publisher. So I, I would not be comfortable doing that either. So I'm with you right there, Gretchen. I'm right <laughs> with you. The myth number is... And now it's time for myth number. That is our word for the day. And today's word... I picked is marketable because that word gets tossed around so much in this industry. But in reality, it, it's an elusive idea. What can be marketable one day won't sell at all the next. And at the end of the day, it all comes down to the writing. It comes down to the voice. The writing has to be engaging. Uh, don't set out to write a marketable book. Just set out to write. And make it the best you can because there's really no way that you're going to be able to predict what will or won't take off. And what's your take on that, Gretchen? Um, you know, I have mixed feelings about this because I, the the spirit of don't set out to write a marketable book, marketable book is the correct one. However, I don't feel like you can write with a blind eye to the market. And by that, I mean, you know, if if a, a certain type of book is just, there's no market for it, you can't create one. May, you know, you can, you can still self-publish a book. You can maybe find a, a small press that would be interested in it. But if you really are looking to publish a book with, with one of the larger publishers and your book sort of doesn't fit quite into what's considered a, a marketable genre, you're going to have a really hard time. Um, so I think, I think you can set out to write, the next Harry Potter. <laughs> um, but I do think that you can write with an eye towards what the marketplace is actually like. Well, you obviously have to have a sense of what's going on in the market, but I, I, I think as that first, first writing experience, they need to sit down and write, but maybe that's the teacher in me again, just saying, look, just sit down and write and don't worry if it's crap. The next one won't be. Well, I mean, because it's a learning experience. Writing is that wrong, crap. maybe? Well, no, but I mean, writing crap and, and writing a book that's not marketable, I think, are two different things. Um, you know, if 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 you're writing uh, a book about uh, a girl that's in love with a vampire um, and a werewolf and they've got a love triangle, I mean, you might have a hard time selling that in today's marketplace just because <laughs> there's a hundred books like that out there. This um, is true. But if it's, if it's amazingly written, yes, it could probably sell. 
you could also write a book in a genre and at the time that you're querying it to an agent, it could be the genre that everyone's looking for. I saw this happen a lot recently where it's like when, when horror was, or, uh, you know, mermaids were the next big thing and, and people who had mermaid books were, were sought after. But if you don't write a book and the writing is strong, you know, you're, you're not going to get anywhere. So it's, you know, there's a piece of both of those things. Um, and I think for an, an early, for a, starting, a writer who's starting out, focus on the writing first, but keep an eye to the marketplace. So if you get feedback from editor, I mean, from agents or, or your critique partners or whatever saying, you know, this might work better if the main character was XYZ, because that seems to be more like what the marketplace wants in an urban fantasy or a paranormal romance or whatever, then you have to be open to that. That's very so good listeners advice. Take a little bit of mine and a little bit of Gretchen's advice and mush it all together. Absolutely. Right? Sounds like a plan. <laughs> all right, Gretchen, if you could have a dinner party, this is the fun part. I love this part. If you could have a dinner party with any seven people, living, dead, or fictional, who would you include? Well, um, I've always had a fantasy about having happy hour drinks with Oscar Wilde and Dorothy Parker because I think the conversation between the three of us would be sort of amazing. So I would definitely start with the two of them. Um, I would love to get Agatha Christie together with Hercule Poirot and see how the two of them actually got together. Um, mm -hmm. I would love to meet William Shakespeare and maybe put to rest the controver controversy over who actually wrote, you know, his, his poems and plays. Um, there's a, a sort of fascinating, uh, French playwright, uh, called, uh, Beaumarchais, the Marquis de Beaumarchais, who was not actually a Marquis, and uh, who wrote the the plays that would be turned into uh, the opera The Marriage of Figaro and The Barber of Seville. And he had a hand in politics. He had a hand in fashion. And he was a writer and a player. He was absolutely, utterly fascinating. And I would love to meet him. Uh, and lastly, I would say the great and amazing Indiana Jones, just sort of for general spooniness. <laughs> I love uh, these dinner parties are, are just, I love all these dinner parties that our guests come up with because I think they would be such <laughs> fabulous parties to go to. Yes. Mine, mine were mostly writers, but, um, <laughs> no, that's, that's okay. Well, I loved your Shakespeare one because, of course, that that's one of mine, too. So I really love that. And I love that you brought up the whole Shakespeare debate because I teach that, you know, and oh, right. in one of my classes. I actually I, I, I shock people because I actually bring it up that that debate exists. And, and we talk about that and we, they have to write a paper on it and everything. So I'm glad you brought that up, Gretchen, because I like that. Yeah, there are uh, a couple of really fascinating books on the topic. Oh, I know. What question do you never get asked in interviews that you wish someone would finally ask you? And then what would be your answer to that question? Well, I get, I swear I've been asked just about everything. Um, but um, I would say the, the question that people don't ask very often, which I think is interesting of authors, is who is your favorite character? Um, my favorite character is Hector in Possessed, who is the main character's gay best friend. And he's sort of like of a slightly overweight Hispanic kid at a Catholic school whose parents sent him there because they thought it would beat the gay out of him. Um, but he just is who he is and very unapologetic. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just love him. 
Oh, I loved I loved reading Hector. I thought he was a fabulous character. Yeah, he's the best. <laughs> yeah, he is. I liked him. I liked Hector a lot. Okay, well, everyone has their own personal myths. Things a lot of people think about us that may or may not be true. Their own personal myth behaviors, if you will. What myth behavior do people believe about you that is absolutely not true? Well, it's not that it's completely untrue, but I definitely have sort of a cultivated uh, personality front as being a bit of a party girl. <laughs> and as much as I enjoy going out, um, uh, I, I do really love quiet nights at home. I need to, uh, I need to work those into my schedule as well as nights where I'm out, you know, with friends at parties, you know, doing social things, whatever. I, I do like those, those quiet nights at home as well. All right. The hard one now. What misbehavior do people believe that really is true? Well, my my shoe collection really is truly astounding. It's 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 a thing of beauty. <laughs> I knew that was coming. I, yeah. I was going to say if you did not bring up your shoe collection, my this shoe, had to be my <laughs> shoe collection. My mother, <laughs> my mother thinks it's horrifying. She she does not understand uh the shoe thing at all she's she's one of those you just need two or three pairs and you're fine and i'm like i need two or three hundred pair and i'm fine so <laughs> i started to say what is your count up to no i think i think i'm at in my closet i'm at uh probably around 75 or 80 pair that's not yeah, too that, bad not too bad tennis shoes and everything yeah Oh, she got the most gorgeous pair that, that she posted her picture up on Facebook at Christmas time, and I wanted to reach through and grab them and say, yes, "Mine, those, I love those." Them. Were a uh, Christmas gift from my boyfriend. He got me a pair of fluvogs with these giant satin bows on the front that are just gorgeous. Oh. Uh, they they looked beautiful. As we said in previous episodes, we're going to have a contest celebrating the launch of Myth Behaving. To enter, just do three things. Tell us what you think myth behaving means. Follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page. We'll be choosing the answer that we think best fits the word as it applies to our show. And we have a prize package that includes three Tim Powers books that will be signed by Tim. Kay Latham will also be signing her two books in the package. And we have two ebooks from Christine Ashworth. And one from Cindy Young Turner, and I've I've read the one from Cindy Young Turner. It's called A Thief of Hope. So that is going to be an awesome, awesome prize package for the winner. The contest will end February sixth at eleven fifty nine p.m. The complete details are on our website at mythbehaving.com. Gretchen, thank you so much for being our guest today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. We do appreciate you taking the time because I know how busy you are. And, and I think your information has been fabulous. I love getting all of these different opinions from authors. And I think you have just really made a special show for us. And I appreciate that. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> okay, remember, everyone, you can go to MythBehaving.com for more information on Gretchen McNeil and links to her books. You can also read her bio. And also find links to her social media. 
And don't forget, you can download this episode on iTunes or listen right on the MythBehaving.com website. And please, when you're over there at iTunes, please take a moment to leave us a positive feedback. We're really working hard to make you a good podcast, and we need to bump it up on iTunes. And you can subscribe to us right on iTunes, too, so don't forget that. Also, if you have a topic or a guest you'd like us to consider, you can contact us through MythBehaving.com. Thanks for tuning in to Myth Behaving. We'll see you again next time. I'm Carla. And I'm Mare. And we are Myth Behaving. See you soon.